You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. The government of Alberta will not, we cannot, let this unconstitutional attack on jobs and working people stand. Good evening and thanks for joining us. You heard her. Alberta Premier Rachel Notley pulls no punches in her response to the B.C. government's proposal for the contentious Kinder Morgan pipeline. The Horgan government wants to limit bitumen flowing through B.C., another possible roadblock for the project. And that has the Alberta Premier threatening legal and economic retribution. Richard Zussman reports. The government of British Columbia took direct aim at the Alberta and the Canadian economy. Now the Alberta government is firing back. In a surprise emergency cabinet meeting in Edmonton, Alberta Premier Rachel Notley went after the B.C. government. To call this a violation of the rules governing our confederation is an understatement. The interprovincial scrap is all over plans the B.C. government announced to review whether it will restrict the amount of bitumen that can flow through pipelines. That review could take years. And the move serves as a potentially fatal blow to the proposed Trans Mountain Pipeline Twinning, a project with federal approval. All of this has Notley threatening to take legal action and to impose a ban on moving electricity from B.C.'s Site C Dam to Alberta. We owe it to Albertans to do everything within our power to defend our jobs and our economic security. And we will not waver in this fight. What makes this personal is that Notley and B.C. Premier John Horgan used to work here together when the NDP was in power in the 1990s. Horgan wasn't available to respond to his friend's comments today. Instead, B.C. Environment Minister George Heyman stood strong on B.C.'s position. We believe we have authority under the Environmental Management Act to protect our coastline, to protect our environment. Heyman adding his government isn't worried about a legal challenge. Constitutional right is something that's decided by the courts, but we wouldn't be proceeding if we didn't believe we had the right. But there are questions in the legal community about whether British Columbia does have that legal right to prevent the flow of oil to the coast. Always depends a little bit on how British Columbia goes about enacting regulations. But I would say prima facie that British Columbia probably doesn't have the constitutional right. Now, with Ottawa and Alberta digging in on one side of the Rockies and B.C. on the other, the construction of the $7 billion oil pipeline may be the fuel needed for a full-out interprovincial fight. Richard Zussman, Global News. Well, it might seem strange to have two NDP governments at each other's throats, but there is a strong political reason for this. Keith Baldry is in Victoria now with more on the method to this apparent madness. Keith? That's right, Sophie. Yeah, on the face of it, these guys should be allies. But on this issue, uh, they have to take diametrically opposite positions because their, the political survival of their governments, or party remaining in government, depends on that. Rachel Notley has to be an aggressive proponent uh, supporting the pipeline because it's the backbone of, of Alberta's number one industry. John Horgan has to oppose the pipeline for a number of reasons. He's, his government has approved Site C Dam. He's approved uh, LNG. He's in Asia wooing investors on LNG. That's infuriated the environmental community and the environmental constituency within the NDP. And to proclaim that, he's got to take a firm stance against Kinder Morgan. Also, the NDP's in power because they won that election last year because they won a whole bunch of ridings in Metro Vancouver, ridings that are actually situated along the route those tankers are going to apply once that pipeline is built. So you've got two leaders from the same party taking opposite positions for the sake of political survival. We'll see how it plays out. Keith, thank you.
New numbers out tonight show that the modern-day plague of drug overdoses has set another new record in B.C. The coroner's service says more than 1,400 people died of illicit drug overdoses last year. That's up a shocking 43% from the previous record in 2016, despite a drop in the last four months. More than 80% of those deaths involve fentanyl. As Romina Dea reports, the statistics once again show that the vast majority of victims are dying alone at home. Hundreds are being saved every day, but hundreds more continue to die. The 2017 data reflects the most tragic year ever. Nearly four people dying a day from illicit drug overdoses in B.C. last year. Deadly fentanyl often mixed with heroin, cocaine and meth. The user clueless of the lethal combination. We are still in the midst of a persistent and continuing epidemic of unintentional poisoning deaths. 90% of the overdose victims died at home alone. Most were men. This risk group now the target of new initiatives by health officials, including making drug test strips more available. An anti-stigma campaign involving the Canucks also integral to reducing the body count. This stigma needs to be addressed so that uh, those who use substances can uh, seek the help they need. They can confide in family, friends and colleagues who can help them get that support. Vancouver, still the epicenter of the highest death toll, followed by Surrey, then Victoria. While the latest numbers are grim, health officials say there was a slowdown in the number of deaths in the last four months of 2017. Romina Dea, Global News. He lost his life while trying to break up a nightclub fight that spilled out onto Vancouver's Granville Strip. And tonight, friends and family of Colwinder Thind are gathering to remember him and pay tribute. Catherine Urquhart is live outside the Cabana Lounge, where a vigil will start in just under an hour from now. Catherine? Well, thanks, Sophie. Several dozen people are gathered here outside Cabana Lounge for that candlelight vigil that starts at 7 o'clock. Calwinder Thind had only started working here about a month ago. Early Saturday morning, a fight broke out inside. It spilled onto the street. During the course of that, he tried to stop it. He was stabbed and later died. Five people were arrested and later released with no charges. Friends are remembering him as happy and well-liked. We'll have more on this story at 11 o'clock. Sophie, back to you. Catherine Urquhart on Granville. Thank you, Catherine. A homicide investigation team called to a home in Chilliwack today to investigate another deadly shooting. Police were called after shots were fired in the 9200 block of Broadway Street. One man was rushed to hospital but died of his injuries. Police say the victim was 28-year-old Chilliwack resident Cozy, uh, Cody Isaacson. They say he was targeted and known to police. New charges have been laid against a salmon-armed man who was at the center of a major police search last year. Curtis Wayne Sagmoen has been charged with assault causing bodily harm and assault with a weapon relating to two separate victims who met Sagmoen through their work as online escorts. RCMP say both had visited locations near the farm where the remains of 18-year-old Tracy Genero were discovered. The farm belongs to Sagmoen's parents, and he was known to have lived in a trailer parked on the property. Police say their investigation is far from over. Our investigators believe that there are other um, unreported incidences and, and other victims that have not come forward to date or other witnesses that have, uh, have knowledge of other incidents. So we're hopeful people will come forward.
BC's body shops say blame someone else for the financial disaster at ICBC. The Automotive Retailers Association is rejecting ICBC's claim that overpayments to car repair shops is part of the $1.3 billion problem. Instead, they believe they can be part of the solution. John Waugh reports. With the B.C. government scrambling to pick up the pieces of ICBC's financial wreck. We're not here to rip anybody off. We're just here to fix the cars. The auto repair industry says it's getting a bad rap with accusations of overbilling. If we're caught making two uh, errors, not even fraudulent errors, they'll remove our, move us off the program and, and instead we're out of business. Trying to smooth over some of the tension, the Automobile Retailers Association offering a solution. Aftermarket uh, used parts will have significant impact in reducing costs for ICBC as well. Now replacing the taillight and bumper on this Lexus with new parts is about a $3,500 job. Now if you go used, you might save about $100 on the taillight, another 100 on the bumper. And in some cases, going used can lead to a discount of up to 40%. The problem is... You've got to find those parts first. We're led to understand that a lot of those vehicles are being put in containers and shipped out of province. So we're just not getting access to the parts. But in 2016, ICBC made nearly $74 million selling salvage. Savings from using more used parts likely making a much smaller dent. On the overall book of the repair, it's not going to save a bundle. The union representing ICBC employees calling this solution a distraction. A system has been created that allows for overbilling. Saying most estimates are missed because after two hours, body shops can proceed without ICBC approval. And even alleging when overbilling is caught after the job is complete, it's often overlooked. They say this is an unreasonable amount and we shouldn't be paying it. And the managers generally override them and pay the bill. ICBC stats show in the past decade only six accredited body shops were caught. Just half of those kicked out of the express care program. Whether that's because of good behavior or bad enforcement, the answer an important piece missing from ICBC's much-needed repair. John Hua, Global News. Three White Rock homeowners have begun the long cleanup and repair process after yesterday's landslide took out parts of their properties. City crews have moved in to do emergency work to prevent more damage. The rest is up to the homeowners. Heavy rains are believed to have caused the ground to give way. But luckily, none of the homes appears to have sustained any structural damage. One homeowner is particularly interested in saving an old patio set. <laughs> uh, whose chairs are those? Uh, they were my wife's uh, mother's. So they're kind of a family heirloom. So the guys have agreed to try and save them, bring them in with the... Uh, now that is good news. Yes. Another step forward tonight for a controversial new program in Vancouver that will make carts available to binners. People who look through dumpsters for recyclables but often take carts from grocery stores to carry the load. As Nadia Stewart reports, the city has unveiled the prototype for its cart sharing program. To most people, this cart hardly looks like anything special. Nothing more than a metal cage on wheels. But for Michael Leland, it's a game changer. When we talked the last time, uh, it was my own bike and trailer. This time, we've, we've got the prototype. For years, Leland and other binners, as they've come to be known, have had to come up with a way to cart around the bottles and cans they collect to supplement their income. It often meant stealing grocery store shopping carts. The loud rattling 
contributing to the stigma associated with this misunderstood line of work. Something like this is makes your life easier. It affects your, you mentally when you feel like you're not valued in society. The Binners Project boasts 100 members doing what the city of Vancouver considers to be a green job. Collecting waste otherwise destined for the landfill, ridding the city of urban environmental blights. Most residents in Vancouver uh, welcome Binners. The project's co-founder says the new carts are quieter and have more capacity. They'll soon roll out downtown, available to rent for $5 for up to 12 hours a day. The program, the first of its kind in Canada, where Binners have even established contracts with some local businesses. The cart will again give them the material that they need to do this job. So uh, I think that will, expand, that will help the Binners project and the Binners expand their partnerships and their contract. Possibly beyond the city of Vancouver. For now, up to 40 more carts will hit the streets by next January. Nadia Stork, Global News. A NewsHour follow-up now to our report last spring on potent greenhouse gases leaking into the atmosphere. A new report confirms that BC's oil and gas industry continues to under-report leaks of methane. Paul Johnson has more on the troubling numbers and why they matter. This is what a methane gas leak looks like when viewed with an infrared camera. These images were shot by researchers with the David Suzuki Foundation during a study of methane leaks in BC's oil and gas sector. Their final report was released this morning. These fugitive methane emissions are being hugely underreported. John Waring is the researcher who led the study. He says the oil and gas sector in BC is releasing two and a half times more methane than has been recognized by industry and government and that 85% of the wells in B.C. vent the powerful greenhouse gas into the environment daily. We're saying that they need to start taking steps to act immediately. The industry, though, is challenging Waring's numbers. I think some of the methodology definitely uh, legitimately detects methane plumes, but then, you know, they used a math process and a number of details to try to bring that back to an actual estimate, and we really don't believe that's a valid approach to take. While the industry may not agree, BC's NDP Green Coalition government would like to take a closer look. We're certainly very interested in uh, reviewing it. We'll always be looking for ways to both improve our information base. One thing that could be on the table is a special carbon tax on emissions like these. Putting a price on them would presumably reduce them and, as Waring suggests, make citizens feel the system is fair. Every citizen in the province of British Columbia currently pays a carbon tax and we're saying that why shouldn't the largest emitters of greenhouse gases do likewise? Paul Johnson, Global News. A new app is tapping into the power of crowdsourcing to help patients survive cardiac arrest. It's called Pulse Point, and as Grace Key reports, one call to 911 sends out an alert that could save your life even before paramedics arrive. To practice what is hands-only CPR, we're going to show you how an AED works. Employees at Vancouver's Broadway Tech Center are taking just 30 minutes out of their day for a course on hands-only CPR with AED. At the end of this one-day course, they'll be asked to download the new PulsePoint app that turns bystanders into potential lifesavers. I think it would be, yeah, helpful in emergency. And Definitely try it, because it's saving a life, right? It's a very simple uh, um, procedure, and if it can help somebody's life, why not? 
If someone goes into sudden cardiac arrest at a public location, 911 dispatchers can notify app users that someone within 400 meters is in need of CPR, and the app will map out the nearest AEDs. From cardiac arrests in BC currently, the survival rate is about 10%. Um, so, so uh, you know, there's lots of room for improvement. You know, our hope is to improve survival rate by at least 50%. Um, and uh, this is an integral part of that. Rob McDonald knows all too well how seconds can count. Two weeks ago, he had a cardiac arrest at the Pitt Meadows Arena after a game of hockey. Luckily, an off-duty paramedic came to his rescue. He jumped straight into CPR. Um, he started giving instructions to everybody there to go and get the uh, AED. The first defibrillator, the batteries were not working, so they had to go get a second one. And uh, so it, by the time the ambulance arrived, I believe there was something like 10 minutes of CPR, uh, along with four shocks from the defibrillator. BC Emergency Health Services launched the app, making BC the first to have this type of province-wide public notification service. 1,300 AEDs are currently registered with the program, and the goal is to have 100,000 people download the app. Grace Key, Global News. New allegations tonight that more of Canada's largest supermarkets conspired to fix the price of bread. New court documents reveal the Competition Bureau believes at least seven Canadian companies, including Walmart Canada, Loblaws and Sobeys, were involved. The documents allege that wholesalers, Canada Bread Company and senior officers from Loblaws' parent company, Weston Bakeries, were in direct contact and agreed to hike prices. The watchdog claims the suppliers then met with their retail customers to get their approval at least three to four months before the price increase. Police car dash cam capturing this trail of fire speeding down a main road in Australia. Queensland police say the trailer had no wheels, but was still being towed by a vehicle for almost 20 kilometers, leaving burning debris in its wake. The driver initially ignored the lights and sirens and sped on. He was eventually stopped and is now cooperating with police. Well, if you've ever taken care of a child plagued with migraines, you likely know how debilitating they can be. Parents often left feeling helpless. Nearly 10% of kids suffer from migraines, and doctors are now using an unusual treatment to stop them. Playing baseball used to be impossible for nine-year-old Manu Tiave. He'd suffered serious migraines since he was three. I was throwing up. All I was doing is going, like, laying down. I couldn't go to sleep. I couldn't do mostly anything. His only choice, going to the hospital to get strong painkillers. So frustrating as a parent to see, you know, your kid in pain and not being able to do anything. Migraines affect 5 million children. With few treatments available, they're either forced to take strong drugs with major side effects or suffer through the pain. These children are not going to school. They're not functioning. Um, they're falling behind worsening of pain when I press. But now New Hope using an unusual treatment, Botox. The popular wrinkle reducer is also FDA approved for adults with migraines. A new study finds it significantly reduced the headaches in children too. After just one treatment, 31 injections around the head, kids reported anywhere from 6 to 20 fewer migraines each month, and the headaches they did have were shorter and less painful. Researchers believe the Botox blocks pain signals. Manu tried Botox last year. Now he gets injections every 10 weeks. I saw a night and day difference. He's back in school. He's playing sports. He is playing with his brother. Taking a shot 
at a new treatment so he can get back to being a kid again. Dr. John Torres, NBC News, Orange, California. French officials are now investigating that Nutella promotion that led to all-out brawls. The country has strict rules about just how much of a discount retailers can offer outside official sales times. This supermarket had discounted Nutella by 70%. France's Consumer Protection and Anti-Fraud Agency is looking at whether this was a case of product dumping. Well, a big boost for Made in BC technology capable of treating and preventing drug-resistant infections without antibiotics. The light-based therapy is considered a breakthrough, able to destroy all bacteria, viruses, and fungus within minutes. And after use at VGH Hospital for years, Linda Aylesworth reports the life-saving technology will be used at hospitals around the world. Don't pick your nose, that's how it goes. There's a good reason why your mother told you to keep your finger out of your nose. It's packed with germs, germs that are increasingly becoming resistant to antibiotics. And finding new drugs to treat them is becoming increasingly difficult. New antibiotics are costing more than $2 billion and taking 15 years. And that is such an economic disincentive that new antibiotics are not being created. Seven years ago, Vancouver-based Ondyne Biomedical started testing a potential solution to the problem at Vancouver General Hospital, a way to reduce the use of antibiotics while also reducing surgical infections. Photodisinfection is a light-based therapy that destroys all bacteria, all virus, and all fungus in minutes. It's called MERS-AID. It involves swabbing the inside of the nose with a substance that's activated with light, which causes the protective wall around pathogenic microbes to rupture. One of our aims is to displace that antibiotic, or at least reduce its use, so that it can be preserved for more dangerous cases or for other implementations. Today, they got one step closer to achieving that goal. Our life-saving technology has just been approved for use throughout the EU, Australia, New Zealand, and later on this year, expected Mexico as well. Because MERS-AID is so much cheaper than using antibiotics, it's expected to be of enormous value to less affluent nations. One reason the former president of Mexico has joined Ondine's board of directors. Math and myself are going to be working intensely with a strong commitment, with passion, to take these technologies throughout the world. We strongly believe that with the right team around us, we can do miracles. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. All right, we'll check in with Christy right now, though, and uh, reports of snow in the area. Winter is back. Christy. That's right. Sad to say we did not forecast this one. Temperatures dropped to about two degrees over highest, higher levels just at about five o'clock. This is our tower cam. Looks wet, but we've had uh, flakes going by for the last hour, hour and a half, and I would say some of this is wet snow on the actual tower cam. This is Westwood Plateau right now, for example. Thanks to Roberto for that one. Um, we're not expecting much other than what you're seeing right now. The wave of moisture that we're seeing is going to ease off late this evening. Maybe another centimeters for just the highest levels like Westwood to Plateau, maybe higher levels of the North Shore, and that should be about it. Lower down temperatures are at four degrees, so that's really what we're expecting. A bit of a break overnight, but not enough of a break like what we saw last night, just in time for the super blue blood moon. This photo thanks to Kelly in Burnaby. So yes, we caught some nice breaks. I've got a few photos of the super moon to show you. This one from Mary Helmer in Haida Gwaii. Check that out. No wonder it's called a blood moon. Super cool. So it's basically the 
Earth's shadow that goes uh, over the moon and creates that reddish hue. And this one from Wendy and Dale and Nipco, Nippo uh, Lake there. So Nippo, sorry. Um, now, the rain that we're seeing right now is going to push further inland. So overnight, a lot of snow for inland regions, but really just the highest levels. If you're lower down in the valleys, you're only going to see a few flurries. But 5 to 10 centimeters for the mountain ranges, and then this sucker is about to push in. So that's your tomorrow morning and your tomorrow afternoon and your next day and your next day, everyone. It's going to be one thing after another. You'll need to keep your umbrella handy, that's for sure. Keep in mind, rivers and streams still high, and we're not expecting that to change either. So by the afternoon hours, this pushes further inland. We're expecting snow for inland regions. Lower down, though, it will be a mix of rain and snow in the afternoons as temperatures warm up. But certainly through the overnight periods, you can expect snow. So for coastal regions, periods of rain, snow for terrace through the day tomorrow. You could see 15 centimeters light snow in through uh, Smithers and Prince George. That's mainly towards the end of the day. It'll take a while for that moisture to push up into your area. Meanwhile, further south, mainly dry throughout the day. It's not until later on that that snowfall pushes in. South Coast will see that in the form of rain. Temperatures are about 7 degrees as our daytime high. Over the weekend, though, we will begin to warm up. Highs of 8 degrees both Saturday and Sunday. And yes, as I mentioned, rain on and off for several days, everyone. Happy birthday to George Piercy and Jean Lewis. Congratulations to you both celebrating 100 years. And this very cool shot from Burns Lake taken just two days ago. Thanks to Gary for that one. This is when there's just enough enough water for the snow to slide off the uh, roof, but it stays together because of sort of retention and cohesion in the snowpack. Isn't that cool? Looks like something from a movie. Yeah, that's really cool. Thanks a lot, Gary, for sending that in. All right. Thanks, Christy. Canada's national anthem is about to change to become more inclusive. The Canadian Senate today giving the final parliamentary approval to change one line. Once it gets royal assent by the Governor General, a mere formality, the line, in all thy son's command, will become in all of us command. The change began in 2016 as part of a push to remove gendered language from O Canada. There was some opposition to this. Some conservative senators were vehemently opposed to the change. But it's going to happen. Good. The question is, will people remember when they sing it? Yeah. That's right. In Over time. All, in all of us in command. In all of us command. We can do I it. I still remember the dude who, who in Vegas when the CFL had American teams sang O Canada to the tune of O Christmas oh, Tree. Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> Actually, you know what? Too. Didn't sound half bad. I didn't mind <laughs> bad. it. Okay. Anyway, very festive when he did it that way. Ooh. Okay. Right. You've got a prop tonight. <laughs> I'm going to say, you have a problem? That's <laughs> where you were going with it. That too? Maybe. No, I do. I, I've, I, I'm going to do a little math for you folks. I'm going to have to lead the room for a moment. Um, but first, part of that win by the uh, Canucks over Colorado last night included another power play goal. And aside from Brock Besser, the best part about this Canucks season has been their power play. Right now it's sixth best in the league. And their power play has not been that highly ranked since 2011-2012 when they were a very good hockey team. This goes to show you a power play that scores is nice, but you do need more than that. Last year, the Sabres had the best power play, and they missed the playoffs by a lot. Ooh. Speaking of the playoffs, the Canucks' distance from the postseason can now be measured in parsecs instead of points. Despite the win last night, they are still far away from the postseason. But there are some who think 
a fully healthy Canucks team could go on a late season miracle run. So for those with vast quantities of optimism, I think it's time to run some numbers in the math room. At the whiteboard with black marker. I'll stop, don't worry. I just had to do it. Uh, these are the last four NHL seasons, and these are the numbers that you needed to get in the playoffs, okay? 91, 97, 87, 94. So let's just average those four out, and you come to 92 points. Let's say the Canucks need 92 to make the playoffs. All right, so far, they have 46 points in... 50 games. They'll need 46 more to get to 92, but they only have 32 games to do it. In order to get to that, their win percentage would have to be 719. Remember that great start in October? Even in October, they weren't running at 719. That's Tampa Bay Lightning winning percentage, and the Canucks are not the Lightning. Now, there are some who still believe that maybe it's possible they could make the playoffs. Well, the possibilities, I think, are the exact same as me entering the NBA slam dunk contest. Chances of me winning? Well, they'd be good if nobody else entered, but otherwise, pretty slim to get to that number. Draft lottery. Okay, sorry about that. I don't know. He didn't even need a calculator. Well, Muggsy Bogues could dunk. There was a lot of, there was a, I don't know if Muggsy could dunk. <laughs> Nate Robinson could dunk. Can Mungsy dunk? I don't know. Mungsy believe in dunk. yourself, Squire. Thank you very much. But I don't know if I believe in the Canucks' chances. Okay, here we go. Uh, Islanders and uh, Leafs tonight. Well, let's watch Austin Matthews score. A lot of good young American hockey players in this league right now. Brock Besser is one. Austin Matthews is the other. And there's a few more, too. Quite a few more, actually. 4 nothing Leafs in the third period. Okay. Will Travis Lule be able to mend his body one more time? And will he want to play another season in the CFL? And if so, will the BC Lions be the team that signs him once again? Well, he was at Lions headquarters today, continuing to rehab on a ripped knee suffered last season. Even Travis Lule is uncertain about his 2018 playing status. Does Lule return for a 10th CFL season? And if so, will it be with the BC Lions? the only team he's ever suited up for. Travis is coming off the third major injury of his career. He's four months post-op, and his surgically repaired right knee continues to get stronger by the week. Does this look like somebody who's ready to walk off and ease his way into retirement, or a guy doing everything in his power to earn a new contract? I have been committed since the get-go uh, of, of working like crazy, and, and just... Because if I didn't, if, if I sat back and said, well, I'm probably not going to play and I didn't rehab, well, I, don't, I don't know that it would ever come around. So I said, I'm going to rehab like crazy with, you know, with a lot of intensity like I've done in the past. And that way I still give myself that option um, as my body starts to heal up. And if, if my mind comes around, then I'll, then I'll be prepared. I'll have a foundation in place. That foundation right now is a healthy body and a healthy mind. Lula's in the process of finding the perfect balance. 
It's what will ultimately decide if he returns to the playing field. It's also why he didn't hang up his cleats when he shredded his ACL to end his 2017 campaign and possibly his career. And Lule takes a wallop. I obviously have been through injuries, so I know not to emotionally attach my attach myself to where I'm at in that in that moment. Because uh, there are you know there are days where you go, oh, I feel great. This thing's going to come around, and then there are days where you're like. Am I ever going to be able to run and jump the way I have before? Travis Lule will be the quarterback. The other part of it is Travis proved he's still capable of playing at a very high level. At the time of his injury, he was the CFL's top-rated passer and had thrown for over 300 yards in three of his last five games. So don't think for a second that this comeback is a case of a player's mind trying to fool his body into doing something it's no longer capable of. You know, if I had played and played poorly and, you know, I said, I, you know, maybe I just don't have it and then I got hurt, maybe that, maybe that changes uh, my outlook. But, yeah, I think going out there and, and, and playing and playing well, you know, it plants a bit of a seed going, man, do I want to see this thing through a little bit more. Speaking of quarterbacks, the Hamilton Ticats still have not signed quarterback Johnny Manziel. They have his rights, but Manziel wants starting quarterback money, which in the CFL could run around $500,000. The Ticats apparently are offering around $150,000. Scotty's BC is now 4-3. They won this afternoon over Newfoundland and Labrador, 10-7. That's going on in Penticton. 65, Cypress 376, Sasquatch 332 with 19 new. In Revelstoke, a base of 248, Manning Park 182, Powder King 247 with 24 new, and Mount Washington, a base of 253 centimeters. In the Southern Interior, Big White's base 232, Silver Star 220, Sun Peaks close to 180, and Apex a little over 200. Coming up on ET Canada, Survivor Ghost Island. Only we are in Fiji with the new cast, plus Helen Mirren versus James Corden in the rap battle. You, you guys just have to see it. And forget the Super Bowl. It's all about the Puppy Bowl. That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. But for now, it's back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right. Thanks very much, Cheryl. Muggsy did dunk. He did dunk. You're right. Yeah, I remember. The guy was incredible. And he's uh, like my height. 5'3". Yeah. yeah. Played for a lot, of, a lot of years, too. Your height and bare feet. Right, right, you're right. Let's see him do it in high heels, though. I bet you could. Anyway, hey, a Winnipeg security guard has gone from protecting the arena to protecting the net, getting a call-up that he never saw coming. When the Winnipeg Jets found themselves without a goalie at practice, the beer league player strapped on his skates and fulfilled a lifelong fantasy. Global's Mitch Rossett reports. Maybe go up to camera 13. As a member of the Winnipeg Jets security staff, Glenn Lafrenay spends a lot of time near the team. We'll be around the guys and most of them know me, um, you know, just from being around the building. But he never imagined one day he would get to be part of it. A couple chuckles came in when when I walked through the door. uh, They were kind of giving me the gears a bit. On Monday, Lafrenay lived every beer leaguer's dream getting called up to the NHL. If I get get one in the skull, like, hey, it'll be, uh, it'll be uh, one way to go out, so. <laughs> With Jets starter Connor Hellebuck getting practice off, someone needed to be a net. They just needed a quick uh, quick guy to, I guess, uh, be a human shooter tutor for the boys, so, so uh, they asked me if I wanted to, and I, I said, yeah. A goalie his entire life, the closest Lafrenay got to the pros, was the Manitoba Major Junior Hockey League. He now plays recreationally, facing shots that barely rise off the ice. Well, obviously, you know that you're going to get torched, but uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty uh, 
It, it always just was a thing for me that I wanted to experience and I got to do it. Denying some of the game's big names, well, that was just an added bonus. I'd like to say I held my own a bit. Uh, I, uh, I stopped a, a Patrick Line a one-timer uh, when they were working on the power play. I didn't feel good about myself after the practice, but um, it was it was only a good thing that he wasn't on the ice today. For his troubles, Lafernay skated away with a few new sticks, but also bragging rights about his big day in the big league. Mitch Rossett, Global News.